Okay, hello, welcome to a very special Greenhouse Live here in, in December. We've got a very, very special guest uh, tonight. We've got Dave Heaton, who is the author of a great new book uh, that's just come out called Absolutely Bleeding Green, which is which is the history of the Raiders. And uh, David, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on and, and great to have you as part of Greenhouse Live. Oh, I'm thrilled to be on, Sean, I've, I've got to say. I mean, I've, it's the first time for me. Uh, but, but but really thrilled and, and doubly so to be talking about the book because I've worked hard on it for the last few years and to have it coming out after such a banner season, it could have been one better than yes. it was, but to have it coming out at the end of, of 2019 for this market and with, with good years in front of us, it's it's exciting for all of us. Yeah, so we'll get some promos out straight away for this. So so the book the book's available from the from the Raiders website, but it's also available from from various bookstores in um, in and around Canberra. And and I also understand there's a launch happening this Saturday. Yeah, well, there's a signing on, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Alan Nunwood did a terrific job with the book. Uh, Mainstream, indeed, our, our our biggest local publisher in, in the country, did a really nice job with it, and they were very keen to have simultaneous signings. So it is the case that um, that we've got Ricky Stewart um, out at Tuggeranong signing. Uh, can't who's he? Uh, I'll, I'll think. Seb Chris. Seb Chris. That's right. We got that right. And then and then um, in in uh, the city. Uh, Dimmicks, yep. you've got Cappy McFadden, Andrew McFadden uh, is signing with Jack Murchie uh, and I'm lucky enough to be out at Belconnen, uh, the Belconnen Dimmicks and I'll be, I'll be signing uh, the book along with Brett White and Tom Starling. So there are numerous faces there uh, for people to come along. It is actually all happening at 1pm, uh, so at each of the three major Dimmicks stores in the city this coming Saturday signings, um, all the books... Uh, that are selling at the other two where I won't be have got my signature in it, but more importantly, there'll also be uh, Cappy McFadden's and uh, Rick Stewart's and some of the players. So, you know, the fans get those people who buy the book for Christmas, and I hope that'll be plenty of Raider fans. So hopefully they'll enjoy the book, but they'll also have some good signatures in it as well. Yeah, no, that'd be terrific. So, so certainly if you uh, if you're out and about on Saturday, pop into one of those dimmicks and, and say hello. Um, but uh, otherwise, there's there's plenty of other opportunities to get the book. And I have to say, um, from a library catalogue point of view, whoever thought of the name, absolutely bleeding green, is pretty smart because uh, starting A B, you're going to be at the top of any uh, <laughs> any any list of books, aren't you? No, very good. I hadn't thought of that angle. Uh, you know, the courtesy that was a that was an Alan Tongue Jared Croker sort of. I talk about that at the beginning of the book, but because of that connection, and you know, Croaks had said about Tungy that he the absolutely bled green, you know, and and still does. So that was perfect for me, but I like I like where you're coming from. That'll be oh. that'll be right at the top. It's like those all sort of pest control people who are AAA pest control. <laughs> We've exactly, done the business. That's exactly right. If you're going through uh, books alphabetically, um, you're absolutely bleeding green. It's pretty pretty good. I don't it's think I don't think Tony Abbott's uh, released his memoirs yet. So um, <laughs> that would probably be about the only one that could be above you. So. Um, and we've also got Steve here, of course, too, because when we talk about the history of the Raiders, there's no one, no one who I go to more as a definitive source. Well, apart from maybe yourself, David, who's, who's literally know. written the book on it. Um, <laughs> Steve, if you talk about the the website of it, um, Steve, no one's no one's written more about the history and understands more about the history of the the Raiders than yourself. So, um, Steve was actually um, came here in 1982, uh, the year, first year of the Raiders, and has been here ever. Well with a couple of years overseas, but have been here ever since. 
That's right. Thanks. Thanks for having me on as well, Sean. As you know, I, I much prefer to be behind the camera, but uh, on this instance, in this instance, I'm, I'm happy to come along uh, and participate with Dave. And one of the things we were talking about before, which I think is interesting, is that is that the Raiders, being a relatively young club, and probably us not being as young, um, none of us were born or even born when the Raiders. Came in, Dave. You were telling me before you grew up in Sydney. Steve grew up in Brisbane. I grew up in in Melbourne. So we don't necessarily come to this club with the same sort of thing as what a lot of people with sporting clubs around the world, where you know our, our father, our grandfather mm. supported mm. this this club. It was it was part of our sort of DNA when we were born. Yeah. We we've all come to this city from outside. We've we've become part of this club and I think our lives have been enriched so much in this city because of the the Canberra Raiders I know from my point of view that so many of my friends in this city are actually people who I've got a connection with the Raiders with that um, it really has for so many people in what is a a pretty transient um, city it's been such a big part of people's lives and people's I guess introduction to a city that maybe is not where they they were born and grew up in. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, you know, given the club beginning in 1982, what I've done in the book is to sort of go a long way before that, you know, more than 100 years before that to talk about, about well, union in the first instance, rugby, and then the beginnings of rugby league in the region in 1921. So that's that's all a really, I think, a really important background to the book, especially when you've got generationally, you've got, you've got players who appear in the green jersey from 1982 whose forebears were playing rugby in Queanbeyan yeah. in the back end of the 19th century. So you've got that. But it's a really good point you make that, that in those early years, 1982 onwards, um, I've, I've, I, was, I came, uh, given Steve was here in, in 82, I came with a family in 1985. And I can tell you in 1985... Um, that if the AFL, if, if rules had had any kind of uh, imagination, they could have clamped down on this, this city very easily because Victorian public servants, mm. that is to say the Commonwealth public servants have been coming from Melbourne because the, the, the parliament was there from 1901 to 1927. Um, that, you know, you, you had basically two generations of public servants coming. They were still coming in the 1980s. Now, they are absolutely stitched on rules fans. So if, the, if, if, if rules had had any kind of imagination, we could have gone that way. But I've talked about it. I remember back in the, back in the 1980s going on radio and Kate Carnell, a very passionate yeah. Raiders supporter, the two of us talked about you know, the Raiders on radio uh, pre-Meninga and post-Meninga. I mean, that arrival of the Queenslanders headed up by the great man was absolutely crucial because that led us to considerable success. Interestingly, for a lot of Raiders supporters, Steve would know this, and I think, Sean, you would as well, 1986 was no good year. You know, the, the sentiment is that they arrived in late 85 and we were good from then on. Not so, and that's in, dealt with in the book, but from certainly from 1987, you know, onwards. And you, then you've got that glory year period. And that's important because, and picking up just to go one further with your point, that we are all, an old enough club now mm. that you've got, me going to the footy, for example, the Heaton family with my kids and my grandkids. Yeah. And my grandkids are old enough to be enjoying it. They love the Viking clap, but, I mean, that's what you've got now. But if you go back to those early years, you've got people coming to this city for a variety of reasons and associating themselves or wanting to be attached to the Raiders. In my case, and I won't go into any more detail, but I grew up in the northern beaches of Sydney, and I can tell you Brookvale Oval which used to be mm. the, the, the place where the Brookie show was. Uh, for those of us, sort of, because it was just basically enclaves on the northern beaches then. 
Brookie Oval was miserable, as were most... Have of you been there lately? It's, no, no. Not, it's exactly the same. No, let me... I'm here to tell you, as a man of experience, 1950s, it was absolutely poor. I used to sit in the top of the sheds, yeah. you know, literally on the top, yeah. you know, no occupational health or indeed spectator health and safety then, but sitting anywhere, it was the, the stand, which was the, the stand. You got splinters on your bum in this tiny little stand. It was miserable. Now, I'm saying that because... I had a break. I was overseas doing some some study. Uh, then I was in the Northern Territory, and I didn't. I'd, I'd played league just before I left, but that was in let me think now the early seventies, um, and then didn't was sort of dissociated in a sense from from uh, and, and outside the country. So when I went with my two sons, they were the, the first two uh, born. We went out to Seaford Oval. I loved it as much for in my case nostalgia reasons. Yeah. And I really liked the sort of battler ethic that was there in the Raiders. So we came in 85, and while 85 wasn't such a good year, 84 had been, we know, 1984, disproportionately so, I liked the try that was, you know, the, the, the effort that was, that was occurring. And then, of course, we get the Queenslanders, we get Meninga, and, and the game changes. Yeah, definitely, and definitely, and obviously, um, really unprecedented success after that. But I just want to ask a couple of questions about the, right, the very early days. And so you talked about, um, you know, the club was the club was built in in Queanbeyan was was really came out of the, the Queanbeyan Blues. It, it, the the New South Wales Rugby League were never going to allow the Queanbeyan Blues into the competition. Yeah, though, much, though as, very, much to Les McIntyre's chagrin. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they wanted the Blues. They very much wanted the um, wanted to be a Canberra side. And, and you got to think back to those days that that there'd never been. A, well, sorry. The history of rugby league is actually that the very first year there was a Newcastle team in the um, in the rugby league mm. in 1908. But mm. but after that there there was was not a team outside of Sydney um, from that. You know, a team like Penrith was sort of the the furthest away. There you know there wasn't Newcastle in the comp. There wasn't well Illawarra came in with us. So, yep. so to take a team from um, Canberra and Queanbeyan was was a big big step. And and people like. Um, Fred Daly and, and Ros Kelly and Les McIntyre in particular, Don Elphick, were, were a massive part of that. Um, but it is interesting, one of the things in the book you talk about, and you talk about Aussie rules, is that, is that the difference probably between Canberra and Queanbeyan, and we, I think we, we all joke now about the difference between Canberra and Queanbeyan, but, but um, the difference between in sporting, sporting-wise, I mean, for what is really a, a sort of out, outlying suburb of Canberra, that it did have a totally different to to the it was a rugby league town and and the district was a rugby league town as opposed to Canberra which wasn't really so much a rugby league place. Absolutely, I mean yeah, that's where you know I'm lucky enough to have, have have had the gig to be the centenary of Canberra historian years ago in the build up to 2013 and did a lot of work on that and likewise when I was with the National Capital Authority so I did a book called the symbolic role of the National Capital. And that was, and, and it was a really fortunate sort of gig that I had then, because it took me all the way back. And and I I know that 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 as 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 a reasonable number of Canberrans now know, and certainly Queanbeyan people. And that is that Queanbeyan, you know, when we had in 1913, when we had the 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 the, the 12th of March 1913 big bash with uh, the the Denmans, the the Governor General and and Prime Minister Andrew Fisher and King O'Malley on the podium, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the place where everyone stayed was Queanbeyan. So in other words, Queanbeyan was an entity in the way that the national capital was was tense. You know, the Denmans stayed at Acton in tents. Mm. Um, you know, that's where, that's where... But most of the rest were housed in Queanbeyan. And Queanbeyan had a real crack at being the national capital. And John Gale, who's a bronze statue in the main street of Queanbeyan today, 
He worked hard. He worked hard to, to, to have Queen Buenos getting the gig. And it went somewhere close. That's, that's important. But it almost works logically, Sean, from then on, because at the point at which you had, you had the Foundation Stones in Canberra in 1913, then we go into the Great War. So coming out of the Great War, when you have the, the sort of pretty much the first sod turned in 1922-23, naturally, and well, logically, if you like, there's going to be a lot of trades people, tradesmen, and labourers coming to the capital to get a job. Mm. Um, and, and it goes a little further because in 1927, we know that this region and the capital, the, the, the infant capital, was going into depression before the Great Depression beginning sort of 1929. So rugby league was being brought to the capital mostly from the rugby league players of Sydney mm. are coming down. So what you then had is a kind of division. You had Queanbeyan, where rugby league had started in 1921, pretty much thriving in truth with its with its league and its common playing a lot of the centres around the traps. Then once the capital gets underway in the early 1920s, you've got a lot of players who are bringing rugby league here as, as manual workers, as tradesmen, wanting foot, footy. So then you start to get teams called... The sewers, for example, and I think that's my favourite. But I mean, you know, those who are making bricks, uh, those who are working on the sewer, uh, that's what they were called. And then you've got a comp. But I'd throw in one more, and it's in the book. I was delighted to find that the dominant town or suburb or almost entity in 1927 that won every bit of silverware going was the little village of Hall. Hall had all the good footballers in 1927, the very year that the Parliament opens. So rugby league basically has a story with many elements in this region that starts in the 1920s. Yep, yep, no. And certainly it um, it continued from there. I think that the um, Aero District, the, the, I think it's called Group 8, was, was very um, popular and successful uh, you know, Successful in all the country comps through there. The Queen Bean Blues were um, a big club. And Steve, I want to bring you in a little bit here. You, you tell me some of the stories about um, just how big the Queen Bean Leagues Club was. Um, to set the scene for perhaps people that don't know, um, obviously Queen Bean in, in New South Wales um, had poker machines and, and, and there's no question that the history of rugby league is, is particularly in, is intrinsic, intrinsically linked to poker machines and you can argue the positive or negative about that. But... but um, the Queen Bean Leagues Club was this sort of massive um, parlour um, with with poker machines. Canberra, Canberra, the ACT didn't have poker machines um, until much much later. So the Queen Bean Leagues Club really built up this this massive um, place, and actually then really were were funding the Blues and making them one of the the best teams in in country New South Wales. Yeah, well, that, that's right. I mean, the Queen Bean Leagues Club started in the early sixties, mm -hmm. and um, it, it burned down in 1972 uh, and was rebuilt into the, the edifice you see today. But um, in pokies were introduced in in New South Wales in in um, the middle of the 50s mm -hmm. and weren't introduced in Canberra until 1977. So there was a there was actually a lot of sort of almost pokey tourism from, from Canberra, people crossing the border to go and play the pokies over in Queanbeyan. And it, you know, it, it meant that the QLC was, was quite wealthy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, 
the, the club you see over at, 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 in Queanbeyan today, I mean, you know, it was it was the equal of anything that you see in Sydney, yeah. uh, and um, you know, so they were wealthy. They were a wealthy wealthy club, um, as you said earlier. Um, they had to involve all of the other Canberra mm. uh, clubs um, in the bid for entry um, yeah. in 1982 because um, the New South Wales Rugby League wanted a, 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 a team for the whole district, mm. yeah. a team based yeah. in Canberra. Yeah. That I just I just add only a tiny bit that that money was of course important. I mean the the the, the statistics speak for themselves that uh, in the build up to the Raiders starting in '82. The Queenbin Blues and, and, and you know won Group Eight, 10, 10 premierships mm. in thirteen years. Don Ferner comes on board, you yeah. know, as 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 one of the one of the outstanding coaches of of his generation that time, with a with a sort of an attitude towards footy, which drew from his past, his international past, and mm. and you know he's gone um, uh, uh, born in New South Wales, but 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 played a lot of his footy in Queensland. That was really important. Um, the Queenbin Roos had started. You know, they'd won a couple of comps, so you've got a kind of dominance. And one part of that was that there was, I think, I've got it in the book, but from, from off the top of my head, that we, in this region, had the third largest number of junior rugby league teams. I think Penrith, you know what I mean? I think it was Penrith and Parramatta, then us. So that was that was a strong part of the bid. But that bid was put together in a pretty sophisticated way as well. And, and for that, I have to... The background of Les, Les McIntyre's vision for what he wanted uh, in this region and wanting to get a team into the Sydney comp was vital in all of this. He was, he was a core... He was the core, really. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he was a, he was a driving force. And just people perhaps don't realise that Don, Don Ferner... We're talking about Don Ferner Senior, not the, not the current CEO... Um, he he was actually you know, Canberra Raiders was not the only team he coached. He coached a lot of teams um, right around the country, but in particular he coached um, what was then called Eastern Suburbs, and and actually final which they got beat, and they and they then won a number of premierships straight up under Jack Gibson, and and certainly plenty of people, and I'll take their word for it. He wasn't around, but um, was sort of argued that he's a bit, almost a bit like probably what's been accused of of Graham Murray at times. Being Set the train for the Roosters that then really took took over. That that he was in many ways set the platform for for what Gibson then went and, and took through the seventies. Yeah, I think that's true, and 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 of course he plays a, a, a vital role in those early nineteen eighties. We we know only too well that the coach of the year in nineteen eighty seven was one Don Ferner and Wayne Bennett, a duel uh, the the coach of the year with two people, uh, and and fully deserving it. But in that build up, Don was so important. I mean they. Uh, you know, even I've, I've spoken to both his sons, but the sort of background to to Don was that his the the the, the strongest part of his coaching makeup was his ability to to um, look at a at a young kid mm. as a real prospect for the future, and that his ability to to, to find footballers to go anywhere to find them, sometimes you know Northern Territory wherever it might be, and put them in the green jersey meant that he was able to pick the eyes out of the local. Um, sort of competition, uh, and Steve O'Callaghan, who you know, pioneer player in 1982, um, outstanding player in the early years. As you know, when when I was talking to him a couple of years ago, said that you know, if you're a country footballer and you didn't want to play footy in the city, the next place you looked at was to come to Queanbeyan mm. to play for the Queanbeyan Blues, where you're going to get your best, you know, kind of almost sort of training into football that might perhaps take you into Sydney. 
But Don was, you know, that was what was so important. Probably, it is fair to say, I deal with that in the book as well, that in 1986 it was a, it was a tricky year because arguably coaching um, uh, styles were, were changing. There was a, there was a change of foot and, and perhaps Don's coaching style belonged to an earlier era, but he really played an important role that took us to that grand final in 87 and beyond. You know, again, yep. he, was a, he was a rock for the club. Yeah, yeah, no, and 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 honoured this year too with the uh, Hall of Fame, which was was terrific. I think he's um, he's gone on in, in years. He's still still alive. People, um, uh, someone's asked me that, but he's he's still alive. But I think he's he's got on in years, and he's he's probably not in the best of health these days. But um, he um, very very important part of the club. And so <laughs> we this will be a typical greenhouse live where we go through every year, and we could be here here till this time tomorrow, David. We, we won't do, do we won't do that. We won't do that. So so. I want to skip forward a, a bit. So, so the club, the club became. Whilst sometimes people talk about you know battling through the tough days, and I'm sure you know in those first couple of years there was some dreadful hidings. But, but there were, you know we won four games in the first year, which which was a pretty good effort because you know coming coming in this was a salary cap time. There was there was also some rules at the time about uh, imported players outside the district and stuff like that. So we weren't able to go and buy a, a, a fantastic team straight away. Um, but we 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 got pretty good pretty quickly we 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 uh 1984 we if in those days if teams uh were level on points um you couldn't sort of miss the finals by points difference so we played in a playoff um midweek yeah, uh, which which, yeah. <laughs> which seems extraordinary that you'd have to play in a playoff sort of tuesday or wednesday and then play again in the in the finals on the saturday but that's the way they did it we, we lost that so we were pretty close to the finals there and then by by 87 we're in a grand final and we got we got beat and 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 we're talking before that um 87 grand final is probably talked as in great positive terms now because what it then then created so we're really hoping that one day that we'll talk about the 2019 grand final in in similar terms, in that it um, it was what it created after that, that rather than the the loss. But um, and then of course we we won the three premierships. I don't necessarily want to spend a huge amount of time talking about those because I think that's been been done to death. It's obviously covered enormously in the in the book. I don't think there'd probably be a person watching tonight that hasn't seen at least highlights of the. 89 grand final. We had we had Steve Jackson actually on Greenhouse Live this this right. year too, which was right. was terrific. Along with um, Paul Surinan too, who was who was uh, being a good sport about that. But um, it was a, obviously a, a hugely successful time, and um, to win three premierships and to play in two losing grand finals over that short period of time, you know, it's hard to believe that the club was less than 15 years old and we won three premierships, played in two losing grand finals, had a salary cap um, issue and, um, you know, we, we'd done a lot in, and basically um, created half the Australian team and half the New South Wales and, and Queensland teams. Absolutely right. I mean, it was a, it was a glorious period. Um, with a little bit of luck, uh, we could have won in 88, but I'll tell you, one year that we would have won for sure was 1993. Yeah. If we don't have Ricky Stewart's broken leg uh, in the second last game and then we didn't win, you know, the next three games were lost. We were out of the comp. We had played the two grand finalists that year only a tiny bit early and we'd absolutely belted them. Uh, that was one one we would have added. So we would have had four. But more than that, you know, there was there was the 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 the, the difficult period of, of of salary cap. They're saying you know Sydney said abuse in ninety one, ninety two, but the Raiders were caught out on that because we had a we 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 had salaries going out, incentive payments, mm. and that took us over. You know, it wasn't nearly, if I can say, nearly as dire as salary cap abuses that followed. 
and it was a part of the learning curve and certain people were the four guys and John McIntyre was one. So and then we roll into Super League. Um, I argue in the book, I believe absolutely validly, that we were uniquely impacted upon by Super League, more so than any other team. And once you roll through that sort of period with some of our great players who were ageing, it must be said, but we were seen as sort of pretty much extraneous to requirements there to make up the numbers. And that's something, that's a theme that follows from, say, 1996-7 onwards. It was a real battle. We had to bear down. There were moments... Again, I talk about it on occasion. There were moments over the next, say, 10 or 12 years when Sydney was, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the, the cynics were out that the Raiders should drop out of the comp. They, you know, it was quite strong at moments in those early 2000s. But with, with, some, with good management, good solid management, in some way sort of country football management, mm. we got through that. And it's one of the reasons why I finished up writing this book, that I was so pleased to hear Ricky Stewart when he came on board at the back end of, of 2013 and continued it over the next few years of saying to basically sort of certain league people in Sydney, we're not here to make up the numbers. This is going to change. So, you know, that first glorious period is wonderful, but we're hoping, Sean, as you say, that on the back of, of a little bit of a, a little bit of, of, of quality, a lot of quality shown in 2016, but what we saw in this year just gone, 2019, suggests to me, importantly, that not only are we heading into another really interesting period when I believe we will win a comp or two, but also we've again become a destination place yeah. for young footballers. Now, we lost that during Super League and beyond and for a number of years. That's why I do, to a certain extent, feel sorry for the likes of Matt Elliott, yep. Neil Henry, and especially Dave Ferner. Dave started to turn things around in those important years from 2009 yep. to 2013 for the foundation that we now have, you know, built of the right stuff. So it's a really interesting time at this moment, having gone through a lot of pretty tough years. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think Dave Ferner probably set the greenhouse going more than anything, Steve, because, uh, geez, there were some comments about him over the years, wasn't there? But um, but I do actually want to go right back to that Super League time because um, and I have to say I've personally got very interested in this now. There's a fantastic podcast, and um, obviously this is the best rugby league podcast going around, but, but the second best, I think, would probably have to be um, a thing called Rugby League Digest, which are, is actually a guy, I think he's actually involved with the State Library in New South Wales, and, and they've, they've been around for a little while, but the last year they've been focusing entirely on the history of the Super League, and and you think we go in-depth and go on and on and on. I think they're, they're up to about 22 episodes, I think they've got to about April 2000, and sorry, 1995. So um, it is it is fantastic. But I'm I'm interested to get both of your thoughts about Super League. And one of the things that that I think surprised me as much as as anything about that time was was just leading into that, just how powerful a club we were. I mean, in my time here in in Canberra, it's always felt that you know, despite the fact we may have had some success on the field. We've been probably, you know, almost sort of the forgotten club in, in, in many ways. We were, uh, one of the great articles I remember reading about Alan Tung, he was described as the most unfashionable player in the most unfashionable team. And I think Alan Tung actually couldn't think of anything better to describe him than that. But, um, you know, we were a powerful club. We had so much. That 1994 team was, was full of internationals. We, we'd won three premierships. Um, there, so along with the, probably the Broncos, we were the two big glamour clubs of the of the competition, and 
it seemed as though we were very much part of Super League from from the start. And I just I'm probably interested to get both of your thoughts about what your thoughts were right from the start of, of when Super League was being talked about, and it seemed the Canberra Raiders were very much part of that from day one. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I think uh, I, I, I personally was someone who, at the time, I was I was very supportive of Super League because, um, well, first of all, the Raiders had jumped on board, <laughs> and I was always going to support um, the Raiders no matter what, um, but. I think there was a feeling in Brisbane and in Canberra at the time that a lot of the teams from outside Sydney weren't treated, being treated as favourably as the teams in Sydney by the New South Wales Rugby League. And I think you can understand why, because the people controlling um, the New South Wales Rugby League were, um, you know, the likes of Ken Arthurston, Manly Seagulls, John Quells, Eastern Suburbs Roosters, um, Peter Moore, um, Canterbury Bulldogs. So uh, I, I think the, the Broncos and the Raiders felt quite disaffected. And, mm. and, I, and I know I, I, as a supporter, felt quite disaffected by the treatment that the New South Wales Rugby League was, was giving to the out-of-Sydney out teams. You were always being reminded, well, if it weren't for us, you wouldn't exist. Mm. Um, now, you know, the Raiders... and Broncos were very powerful. You know, they were the teams of the early 90s. Um, and, um, look, from my perspective, you know, I thought Super League... Um, look, it was ultimately a, a war over television broadcasting rights. Um, Rupert Murdoch wanted um, the product for um, his, his new subscription pay service and Kerry Packer wanted it to keep it for... for, for um, his, Channel Nine um, Network. Um, so, but uh, I, I thought that Super League did bring a lot of good innovation. Um, so I, I, I supported it. No, look, I, I know it caused huge division and disaffect, and a lot of people were disaffected by it. But, but, I, but as I said, I was, I was going to back the Raiders no matter what. Fair we'll come to the fallout in a sec, but again, I just want you to put your mind in, into 1995-1996, not sort of what history now tells us, but but what your feeling were, were at the time when this was all happening. Well, I can come... You know, I have a slightly different perspective to Steve. I was horrified by, yep. by the onset of Super League. Uh, I do try to step my way through fairly carefully through it on, on the basis of quite a bit of research. Mm. Um, I, you know, both Steve and myself, we, we, you know, we, we lived through it. I was never going to not take out my yearly subscription to the Raiders at any point in time, yeah. but I was deeply... Um, uh, 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 disappointed, disaffected indeed by the onset of Super League. There's no doubt, you know, I mean, Murdoch, Murdoch wanted to control the game, Ken Cowley, um, uh, you know, News Limited, their branch in Australia, um, and indeed almost had, it had the jump on, on the other clubs until Packer, you know, I mean, they blew it on one weekend. Instead of signing all the players up they had on the books, they didn't, and then, uh, then Gus Gould, um, and Bob Fulton, for memory, um, you know, went went about with with packer money, and then you just basically get the two media magnets. Yeah. So it depended on what newspaper you who owned what, yeah. what sort of story you were getting. In the in the midst of that, I would argue do do in the book that 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 the Raiders were uniquely affected by the onset because 
we had the best players yep. competition. Don't anyone tell me the Brisbane teams were better than us, you know, at any point in the 90s. We were the best team in the 90s. And because of Super League, Brisbane had more success later in the 1990s, but on the back of their being, essentially coming through with Super League, if I can say. Mm. They got the advantage of that. We did not. Um, but we, 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 without a doubt, I'm completely agreeing with Steve on this, we had to jump to Super League. Mm. Um, I quote... Um, uh, individuals in the in the book, but certainly Tim Sheens directly uh, says that had the Raiders not gone to Super League, then Gus Gould um, at East was going. You know, he'd already targeted. He had Ricky Stewart and, yeah. and Bradley Clyde in his sights. Uh, Sheen's talk, you know, says that we were going to be basically purloined. We were going to lose our players. We was, yeah. and that was almost the beginning of kind of, you know, the next 10 or 12 years of being seen as extraneous to requirements, yeah. really. So we had to jump. But unfortunately for young uh, or kind of, you know, slightly older, you know, champion footballers that we had, they were the ones who were appearing. So when in Packers' papers, there's Ricky Stewart, there's Bradley Clyde, looking like, you know, I, you know, like I, didn't, I cut this out of the book, but sort of metrosexuals in their gear. Do you know what I mean? They're making heaps of dough. Yeah. What's going on here? So, you know, it's interesting, the radio, the ratings of, of, of rugby league in 1995 absolutely disintegrated. Mm. So there was, you know, rugby league, the rugby league sort of following was dramatically affected. I was one of those, yeah. you know, and I went on radio. I was doing a bit for ABC Radio then on sort of Australian culture, etc. And and I do remember I, I talk a brief, briefly of the book, but going on and, and really getting stuck in actually a few of the pathetic half-time innovations, having yeah. these two-bit American singers on instead of, you know, the junior footballers, etc. I do remember Belinda Carlisle was one of those uh, way back in the day and I got stuck in and Neil came on and wasn't very happy at all and, in fact, banned me from Bruce Stadium. Uh, you know, you can imagine my... my You're banned? No, no, You're I, banned for criticising Belinda Carlisle. I was banned from So, so um, the, she left the light on, but they wouldn't leave the light on for you. <laughs> it's actually quite funny. You know, no, no one would know me from Adam, uh, but we had, had quite a laugh with that because I've, I've talked about it ever so briefly in the book because I, I think Kevin Neal's years as CEO, his best years were when he came on board yeah. in the 91, 92 issues and he made some tough calls and I believe finally important calls in terms of the players that he kept uh, or that the club kept but that was different as the 90s rolled on. I believe he started to make some some rather poorer calls especially in terms of players kept or not. One thinks obviously of Bradley Clyde and Ricky Stewart who should have been one team players these champions and they were not and went to Canterbury. I think that's one of the, the sort of sad moments in the club's history but then Things were starting to change. We were we were not we were not picked up in the discussions about the sort of control of the game and where it was going. And that's when Brisbane goes from strength to strength. Yeah. So that you find yourself having Brisbane having what fifteen games, nineteen games, twenty games of football every year on the TV yeah. of a Friday night, and the Raiders. You know, and, and, and you don't have to go back too many years. Yeah. We're getting a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's changing. But you know, the shame of that, Sean, was that. You know, we had changed rugby league. Yeah. From from 1987 and, and for the next seven or eight, ten years, they were vital for rugby league because of the way the Raiders played football. You, you know, when we burst onto the scene pretty much in 87, uh, that that was a really tough period. That's when Jim Comins was brought on board to clean up the game. It was 
brutal. It was defensive. Mm. Big defences were winning out. The Canterbury Bulldogs. Yeah, well, well, nineteen eighty six wasn't 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 a trialless grand final. Seven six. So seven seven six. Was wasn't the there one four two or something in that time? Oh, and four two. There was an and there was an six and there was an origin that was two nil, wasn't there? No, it was. I mean, it was a terrible period, and that's you know that's what I found fascinating in going back to this. And you know, you live through it, but and knowing the great football the Raiders were playing, but when you go back in time and start reading the papers and the various kinds of of outlets. So many people, so many Sydney journalists were saying that this was, you know, the Raiders had changed. You know, yeah. even in the 87 grand final, they made the comment that, you know, I think it was Paul Kenner, one of them, one of the key Sydney journalists said this was a breath of fresh air. Mm. And of course it continued. So, you know, attack was foremost. And that's why when you get to 1989, and, and certainly I argue hard that that's the greatest grand final of the modern era, I'm absolutely convinced it, it was and is. Yeah, yeah, I looked. I'm, there's plenty of people who agree with you. I went. I was. At the, I wasn't. As I say, that was before my time. I've certainly seen it back. It was a great game. I think the the uh, Broncos Cowboys Grand Final a couple of years close, ago would be not, very very close but to not it. I think it was. You would have said it was the best. You'd be wrong. <laughs> no, I'd be wrong. I'd be wrong. So I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna try and. and well, I'm not, not going to argue it for a start because I don't. I want the Raiders to be number one, but but I'm not even going to try and argue it within in this com, in this um, company. This but but I do want to talk a bit about that. That probably the Canberra community and perhaps people falling off rugby league and the Raiders with Super League. It's it's also um, I think needs to be said that at that time was pretty much exactly the time where rugby union went professional. Mm-hmm. It, the Brumbies came in, and the Brumbies weren't probably that unlike the Raiders, where they were sort of considered the sort of downtrodden, they sort of got the scraps of New South Wales, Queensland, but they were, and still are, by, um, by far the most um, successful Australian team. Um, they came in, they, they probably took, um, t- took a few opportunities, I would think it's probably fair to say, to, to try and stamp themselves as Canberra team. And, and certainly that certainly continued. And probably by the time I got here in 2004, they were probably, that was the last of their um, titles they won that year, um, they really were sort of the the big team in Canberra, and we were we were sort of the 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 less like. I know Steve talks about. Um, I think this was circumstance a bit, but probably one of the saddest times in his time. About I think we ended up having to play a, a game at Marnica Oval because uh, the Super Rugby Grand Final was on, and there was about five thousand people there, and all of Canberra was going to going to the Brumbies. So um, they probably did take their opportunity a little bit at that time, and and. Maybe got a lot of disaffected rugby league people. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, cer- I'm certain they did. Um, thankfully, um, the Raiders have come back from that, and um, you know, I, I, I think rugby league clearly the clearly the superior sport. Uh, <laughs> we know you're going to so, say that. Yeah. So you know, it only took time yeah. <laughs> for but, that to, to turn around. But 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 regardless of debating which is a better sport, it's clear that a lot of people did did drop off at that time, and, and it perhaps took them a long, long time to come back. And maybe they're only just coming back now in some cases. Yeah, it's interesting how actually the, the, the Brumbies in some way repeated the pattern of the Raiders. That is mm. to say, I've talked about the Queen, you know, we, we, we know this, the Queenslanders coming, you know, Meninga, and so we get Walters and, 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 and Coyne and company and Belcher, and we get that first, that first group of Queenslanders, very, very important. But, and it's a really important but... The players, the local players, one thinks immediately of a Chris O'Sullivan, a Ricky Stewart, a Bradley Clyde, uh, a Laurie Daly. There was that 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 spectacular first generation of of, of players of the region, local boys, um, you know, sons of, of of you know, in the case of Clyde and um, and and um, uh, uh, Ricky Stewart, 
Um, no, no, sorry, uh, Bradley Clyde, I've got to think. One, there were two of them were, were sons of shearers. Yeah. Uh, so there was something really distinctive. But the Brumbies had the same, one thinks, again, of the George Gregans, the Steve Larkhams, um, uh, uh, Joe, um, uh, Joe Roth, Joe Roth and, and others. So they were lucky enough to get genuine international quality from the local region. And that's when it really was on because that was those years were arguably the lowest years for the Raiders when it was, you know, these were the years when we were playing overs for mediocre, you know, mediocre players. We couldn't attract players. We couldn't keep our juniors. Yeah. You know, that was the last. So that were, you know, that was very much the sort of a part of the ebb and flow of the club. But they were tough years and they happened to coincide with the Brumby assault. I happen to entirely agree with Steve that, that when you compare the two, I took, I took great delight in the book of quoting one of the earliest comments on league in, I think, 1910, um, from a key person who said, you know, it's quite clear that league's going to roll ahead because it's simply a better game to watch. No one will ever convince me that league is not a better game to watch. It always has been. It always will be. Never more so than now with the two codes, I, I would argue. But that's that, too, is a sort of a part of the story so that as you work through the 30-plus you know, years since the club began... They were they were tough years. They were the years in the early two thousands when maybe with the right with with some with with a bit more pressure from Sydney and there was pressure, we could even have dropped out of the comp. So it was to the club's great credit mm. and the organisation of the club. Once we got once once um, uh, uh, you know the the in a sense the McIntyres uh, you know got the club back in two thousand and two away from Super League away from Murdoch and that was extremely important. Then we were on a kind of a track where we could sort of work ahead. It took a while, um, but they were important years and, and rebuilding years, in effect. Oh, look, I, I think that that point can't be underestimated. You know, if you look at you look at sports that have sort of you know had a bit of a resurgence since the year two thousand. You know, you look at so soccer, obviously, um, you know, basically ended their comp and started again. Um, you know, we still haven't got a team from Canberra in, in that comp. You know mm. that, that mm. you know the market is considered by them not to be not to be big enough, despite the fact it's been actually run by a, a Canberra person, David Gallup. We yep. we seem to have a history when we get Canberra people running things, we don't seem to get a good run, like yeah. a bit like a certain referee. But anyway, um, <laughs> but um, you know, like we haven't. You know, we, that's that sort of thing. And you look at maybe Canberra sporting teams. Very well at a sort of lesser um, competition, but when it got fully professional, when there was a huge amount of money in in it, and um, you know television and stuff was so important, that trying to keep up with the Mel the Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane markets is being a tough one. So yeah, you, you'd have to say that maybe if if some things were done poorly over that time in the early two thousands, we we may have been right on the chopping block. Yeah, we could have been, and, and as we know, and that was one of the grim legacies of Super League was third-party agreements. Yeah. Um, and, you know, while we won't go, you know, public on that at the moment, it is a sore point for many a club uh, that some clubs seem to um, uh, get perilously close to going over the salary cap when you can actually tuck in certain players and say we just had enough to get them under, like, uh, for example, one thinks of a Tedesco uh, going to Bondi more recently, uh, that they just managed to get under the salary cap. You, you have to question aspects of the way leagues run, but leagues always been different and entirely different to rugby. You know what I mean? It's always reinventing itself. So it's as if the third-party thing is just a reality of the, of, of the present game. 
the fact is that certain places have got more money uh, than Canberra. So we were going to be suffering there. And it needed a rethink about how we got back to kind of really sort of firm foundations, mm. along with, as we know classically for we three, that there you've got the Queenslanders coming in the first the first group in the 1980s. Then you've got that wonderful effort by Tim Sheens to have a look around the islands and across the ditch at New Zealand that brings a Lomax and a Pongia, uh, you know, and a Reuben Wiki to the club. And now the English, mm. you know, to have gone to the English market, um, you know, first with Josh Hodgson, was a revelation. And the Raiders, once again, one argues, have just been sort of ahead of the game. You know, there needed to be some creative thinking. And we've seen that in the club in the last few years. And the result has been a kind of firmer foundation, along with great marketing. I cannot stress that too highly. That I, I mean, the Viking clap a miracle. Mm. <laughs> I mean, if that isn't the best sort of fan appeal yeah. uh, mechanism, call it what you will, you know, sort of thing to, to attract, you know, kids and, and families then I'll give it away. Uh, fortunately, Iceland did it first and we were able to take that away from, or at least use it as Reykjavik had, had used it, but it's just been absolutely fantastic. So a combination of really imaginative marketing along with some great coaching and great people coming on board, tremendous resurgence of of talent um, identification. Peter Mulholland has been so important in that. Yep. Came on board, what, at the beginning of 2016? Look at the results uh, that we've had there. So, you know, things have, 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 have merged in a way that they did magically in the back end of the 1980s. Yeah, and most importantly with Pete too, he actually seems in good health now too because he, he was struggling, um, he was struggling um, early on in the year. So, um, so yeah, that, that um, definitely is a case. And I certainly would like to think that maybe one day talking about Josh Hobson, similar to what we talk about Mel Meninga, that he was that one that, you know, all those Queensland guys talk about, you know, Meninga sort of breaking the shackles of coming to, to Canberra and maybe that, maybe that a lot then followed. That, um, maybe Hogson, I'm, I'm not too sure he's necessarily um, as close to some of those English guys initially as, as what Meninga was to the Queensland players, but um, he sort of set that scene, wasn't he, for... for English guys coming to um, to Canberra, and you know potentially next year we go we could have five in our in our starting side. Yeah, well, I mean, um, he sh he showed that um, you could recruit a player that not many people had heard heard of, and um, come to the NRL and um, really be um, incredibly successful. Mm. And uh, you know, I think um, we're we're very fortunate that um, a number of them a number of players have followed him. And probably, I'm sure in your in your research, you probably didn't find anyone else that sort of announced themselves to the club by running through a door, did you? It's no, I did not. <laughs> no, I did not. Though it must be said, there were some stories about the early years, <laughs> oh, 1982, 83, 84, and uh, Les McIntyre. Uh, it's not in the book, but yeah, I think the, 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 the book that hasn't been published should probably be <laughs> as, as interesting as the one that has. I think. Well, I think Les used to go down to the Queanbeyan Police Station every Monday morning. Uh, perhaps even with a few bucks in his pocket on the back of what had occurred over the weekend, but that was a whole different era. I'm not. I mean, we smile now. A wholly different era. But um, no, it's been. It's interesting with the English because those of us old enough, and I'm, you know, almost seventy, so I go back a long way, and I can remember when Manly bought the likes of Mal Reilly, um, and one thinks of Cronulla getting Tommy Bishop, Cliff Watson way back in the day. The one thing about the Poms who came over in a sort of steady stream in the '60s and into the '70s. With the, the, not only that they were just about all terrific footballers, but they were very intelligent footballers, and even the forwards were bloody good with the ball. 
And one of the things that we've seen in our first wonderful crop of English footballers, they are intelligent footballers. They, you know, they put it together on the field beyond what they give you in any given tackle. Um, they seem to, you know, they're just clever with the football, and that's been a real asset to the way, you know, I think the, the Raiders, you know, we were, the three of us were talking about the, how important defence was to the Raiders in 2009. We had to turn around, the, you know, the, the fact that we were just basically wonderful scoring points, but really struggling to stop points being scored. And that had to happen, so it did in 2019. And I'd like to think that the foundation defensively laid over this last year is going to enable us to be even more attractive with the football. Not that we weren't, because we clearly were in 2019, but to be even more attractive with the football. And, you know, the fact that we've got another English footballer coming in, George Williams, who comes with a with a real rap. But, um, you know, they, they, they are welcome. You know, we seem to have picked the eyes out of some... Of, of some of the clubs, and, and happily so. And, and Josh Hodgson was crucial in that because even for Raider fans now, they forget that he came in 2015. And, and you know, some of the players like Elliot Whitey getting on on the blower and him saying, you know, look, it's it's good value here. So, you know, with any luck, we've got these players virtually for their footballing lives and that'll make the club strong for many years to come. Well, let's hope so. Now there's the, uh, the Huddersfield connection too with the, the academy stuff there. Um, we will start to wrap this up. And just actually on that, as we talk about George Williams coming... Um, we haven't actually um, done a show since um, since the review show, which I think some people might be surprised Christmas didn't come with, by that time we'd finished that talk. But um, was, we did talk for a little while, Steve, that night, but Matt and I. But um, we we have also lost um, Aidan Caesar and Jordan Rapana since. So so I think um, on behalf of everyone at Greenhouse, we thank them for, for their time with the Raiders. They, they certainly had um, great careers with the, with the Raiders and, and wish them all the best in... Um, in uh, so, um, Aiden, obviously in in the UK with with Simon Wolford and um, and Geordie in in Japanese rugby. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We're we're um, really going to, to um, miss um, the impact of Jordan Rapana, I think. Uh, and um, you know, Aiden Caesar really showed in the second half of this this year that he, you know he could he could really um, make an impact, help t- steer the team around, and um, so. You know, I, 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 I'm sure he's going to have a great a great um, yep. career in England, and I'm sure he's going to have a great time in England yep, as well. Uh, be be good, be a good experience for him. Um, and I've I've been um, following Jordan Rapana on Instagram, and he he seems to be having a ball in Japan with uh, with um, uh, the rugby union team over there. So um, so yeah, the, um, yeah. Thanks to both of them. Of course, Huddersfield, where Caesar's gone, is the place where the, the rules of rugby league and the Northern Union was first uh, created. The George the Hotel, George I think Hotel. it's called. Yeah. No, ab- absolutely right. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that the Triumph Theatre, Supper Room Theatre, where rugby league began here in Queanbeyan, uh, will take on a certain status in the in the years and decades to come. But certainly the George Hotel, 1894, was 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 absolutely critical. I'd only add my my sentiments to that. I two things about that. I mean, uh, you know, Geordie Rappiner over the last few years has just been a thrilling footballer. I think that injury that he had playing international footy about 12 months ago uh, took away speed for a while, but he came back with a vengeance in the second half of the year. And that especially goes for Aidan Caesar. I I must say I was one of those who were a little bit disappointed. I think his confidence, he probably agree, his confidence was down. But 
so pleased to say that in the second half of, of this 2019 season, he played his best games. Yeah. I mean, those last six or seven, eight games that he played, one thinks, you know, because he, he wasn't all that success. He came with a big rap, big rap for a, as a field goal kicker, and he hadn't kicked too many, no, uh, it must be said. But uh, what were the three in one game, if yeah. I'm not wrong, that, that won us a game? And not just that, you know, he was taking the, the squad around the field late in the year, and that was tremendous because I think possibly, you know, he and perhaps those in his family might have been looking at, at, at an England stint. Um, and, and so he, I don't know his contract, but I'm sure he would have got a good contract. Mm. Uh, those fields, I think, will probably suit his game. Uh, you know, the wetter fields over there will suit his game. So he really gave us some good service, and it's no, never more, obviously, than in 2019 in, in the stellar season we've just had. Definitely, definitely. So have we got a few comments there, Steve? Uh, look, they're mostly comments um, indicating that they're... Happy to get the book for Christmas. Oh, fantastic. Uh, All good. Like uh, to hear that, Steve. Uh, uh, but, um, and, and very keen on um, the season to come. Yep. Uh, but um, I will read one out from... Um, oh, sorry, I... Was, I, I, I no, I'm normally pretty good with this, but I should have put the microphone there. People probably never heard any of that, Steve. Sorry. Anyway, um, I will read, out, read one out from Tony Wood, who is, of course, oh, um, Victor the Viking. Yes. Uh, he says, I have read the book and I must say it's a true reflection of what rugby league means for Canberra and the Queenbin area. From humble beginnings of rugby league in the Queenbin district to the start of our great club and how it came to be. You read every um, page in the book as a step to greatness for, uh, for the Raiders. Well done, Dave Heaton. So um, he's... he's um, oh, there you go. I, you I can actually add to that, Sean. Well, it's a big endorsement from Victor the Viking for you, Dave. Well, that's as good an endorsement as I could possibly have had. I was lucky enough to sit next to Tony... Uh, to Victor at the Meninga Medal yep. uh, and his family, his girls, and uh, it was just tremendous conversation. I, I, I loved it, and I hope there'll be plenty more to come uh, in the years to come because, uh, you know, other than, of course, his, uh, his protest year when, uh, when we moved from, from Seaford Oval to, to you know, I don't know whether you're aware you of that. You didn't know that. So he actually, he actually gave it away for you. Season off. Really? In protest at, at the Raiders moving to Bruce. Um, <laughs> yeah, Steve's Steve's boycotting Wagga. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no. I, look, I think I think to be fair, Woodsy's probably the second most passionate Queensland person I know. KW is obviously number one, but but um, yeah, um, I didn't know that that he actually he, um, he did. But I mean, if ever there's a, an individual who's just been just a part of the well, not just the furniture, but you know everything that he's done, yeah. but such an inspiration, really. Yeah. I mean, and and longevity. I mean, make no mistake, this sort of thing. You know, the you know kind of um, uh, individuals who who are mascots for teams, they come and go, mm. uh, and it's just another part of the great Raider story. Uh, that Tony, that Victor has been around, that he can be thrilling my grandchildren yeah. just as he thrilled my children and basically enthused me, yeah, you know, 30 years ago. It's a bloody, you know, and I'm, I'm just delighted that he's, he's listening to the, that he's commenting because uh, he's just been such an important individual for the club. No, and I think, you know, he captured... And I, this was him just his own emotions rather, but he captured the whole thing perfectly when we when we won that game against South this year, we made the grand finals. It, you know, it, I always joke, you know, that Mickey Mouse is not supposed to take his take his uh, helmet off, you know, the role at Disney is the characters aren't allowed to ever be seen without their um their their helmet or their you know costume yeah, 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 on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he took that that hat off and um just showed the emotion of Tony Wood rather than necessarily Victor and, and that that was pretty special. I think that was exactly how we we're all feeling 
that night. And how, and how. I mean, you know, just we had some glorious times in the year gone and, yeah. and we really look forward to something, you know. And, I mean, that's, I thought, you know, just with, with Tony, given what quadruple bypass at one point, not too long back, uh, or triple bypass, one or the other, and there he is looking look, looking fit. You know, yeah. he's ready for another season big time, if not another decade. Yeah, so no, I think he'll be, he'll be around for a while. But, um, no, look, um, and, you know, now that we've got the Viking clap he's, he's even more so oh, between, yeah. between him and Simon leading that but look is, have we got any more or are we going to no, wrap it up I there? think oh, Simon's here watching as well Simon's so watching as well, well Simon, so Simon's the uh, drummer with the um, okay. with the uh, Viking clap, so okay. you know, and, you know, and that's that's probably been the connection that we've had as well. You know, with with Sia that that night at um, at, at um, Canberra Stadium as well, wanting to come. You know, they actually apparently um, Simon actually told me this. They actually, uh, the TV actually asked Simon to come on the ground. And he said, "No, no." The tradition is that Sia comes over here, and, yeah. and that's exactly what happened. So, so that was a pretty pretty special moment. But um, look. Thank you, David. This has been fantastic. I'm sure we could talk about the history of the Raiders to, uh, forever. I'm just going to have to disappear to you're going to go and handle the handle the camera. But thanks, David, for oh, coming on. It's pleasure, been great. Steve. My it's real been pleasure. Great. A real pleasure. David, it's been fantastic having you on. We really appreciate it. Um, for I think if you only have to listen to this to see the passion that David's got for the club. So um, please, I think uh, I couldn't think of a better. Christmas present than uh, than absolutely bleeding green, as we said before. Very easy to find on any uh, books uh, bookshop search engine because it'll be right at the front. Um, if I can say, Sean, the only thing, of course, there's as as uh, one well, the review in the Camera Times picked up a couple of weeks ago, and that is that such was the season 2019, and such is our enthusiasm and optimism looking at the next few years that I can only hope that there'll be a second edition. Nothing would give me greater pleasure than to talk about 2019 and the next few years in a second edition. So fingers crossed uh, that that's what we'll be looking at in the next few years and some great years. I think absolutely bleeding green, the three-peat edition sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> it, it, it definitely works for me, and I'd like them to be in a row, but let's see. Yeah, no, look, look, thank you, David, and, and thank you to everyone watching this. Hopefully you, you really enjoyed um, Talking about some of the Raiders' history, um, you know, some some of you will have lived every moment of that. Some of you, you know, probably just heard stories about that. So I think, regardless of which side of the fence you you sit on, hopefully you enjoyed that. But look, from everyone at Greenhouse, also we just wish you all a Merry Christmas, and um, I doubt we'll be doing any more greenhouses this year. So we'll um, probably do a preview show uh, in the new year and and get Matt back on and probably be out there at the uh, season launch again. But until then, hopefully everyone has a really good Christmas, enjoys reading the absolutely bleeding green that they they get for Christmas because I think everyone's asking Santa for that now. So um, have a really good Christmas and we'll see you in 2020, which... It's going to be uh, a, a big green year. A big, a big green, green year, Sean. A big green I'm year. Hopefully, it, uh, <laughs> that ends in success at, at the SCG. I still can't believe they're playing grand final at the SCG. But anyway, um, incidentally, that's a, it's only a small point. But we were the team that played the very last game at the SCG. We were also the team that played the very last game at Redfern Oval. There are so many small Raider firsts in the story. So it's interesting. It would be only fitting that the team that played the last game there would win the grand final year in 2020. That, Let's would, hope. that would be a good idea. I personally think common sense should have prevailed and the SCG should have been consigned to grand final history forever. But um, anyway, that's another topic we could discuss for hours. But um, until then, as we say at the end of every episode, go Raiders. Go Raiders.